Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is coming, and from the seven spirits that are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. The word of God for our special consideration this Sunday morning is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 45 to 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master finds doing this when he returns. Amen, I tell you. He will put him in charge of all that he has. But if that servant is wicked and says in his heart, My master is staying away a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will return on a day when he does not expect it, and at an hour when he does not know. The master will cut him in two and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Dear fellow servants of Christ, imagine a couple, Mark and Joan. They've been married for almost six years. One Friday evening, Mark comes home around 9.30, ostensibly having had to work late. But when Joan called the office to see whether she should wait for him for dinner, no one answered. Mark tries to come in quietly, hoping that he can get upstairs and, and, and take a shower before she notices that he's home, but she's waiting right in front of the door once he opens it. Take off your coat and shoes and then come sit down, she says. We're going to have a talk. He takes his time, but he knows this can't be avoided, so he finds a chair that keeps some distance between them. He's afraid this could get ugly. She doesn't say anything for what seems like five minutes, but is actually only about 20 seconds. So he tries to get things rolling. Babe, babe, I'm sorry I was late. But, you know, the boss put me on that big project, and we had some major deliverables due Monday, so it was either stay late tonight or go in tomorrow. And then there was this big traffic backup on the freeway. must have been an accident. And, man, I must have sat there in the car not moving for a good hour or more. Stop it, Mark. Jones said, I don't want to hear you making excuses or spinning tales tonight. I know where you were, and it wasn't with me. I just want you to tell me. Tell me what happened to your love for me and your commitment to me. When we got married, you promised it would always only be me, and you couldn't wait to get home in the evening just to be with me. It's obvious that's not the case anymore. What happened? Mark took a beat, drew his breath, and began. Okay, well, Joan, I guess I'm glad you asked. It's probably better for me to be honest and get this out there. Now, as far as what happened to my love for you, it's still there. You are my special angel, my, my wonderful gift, and no one appreciates you more than I do. 
Everything I said on our wedding day, I meant, and I still mean it. But you know, right now, I just can't do the commitment thing. Some opportunities have been coming up lately with women I have met, and well, now is just not a good time for me to be faithful to you. But but don't worry, I will be soon enough. I don't know if it'll be weeks or months or maybe even years, but trust me, I will be. I fully intend to be faithful to you once the time is right. Now, you and I would expect the physical distance between Mark's chair and Joan's chair to suddenly become very important once he finished saying that. No self-respecting wife is likely to accept that kind of reasoning or excuse for her husband's infidelities, nor would a husband if the tables were turned. And the promise of future faithfulness would be worthless, because that is something that is always needed now, not put off till tomorrow. But what we recognize so easily in the relationship and commitment between a husband and wife, lots of Christians, or at least people who consider themselves Christians, fail to see in their relationship with and commitment to Christ. There are the unmistakable infidelities when, when Christians, uh, or, uh, like as with Mark and his wedding vows, when they they take the the glad promises that they made when they first became believers or, or the solemn vows they made at their confirmations, and they treat them as historical markers that identify them with Jesus and his church. but but since then they've they've followed various opportunities to embrace false teachings or to adopt and approve of sinful practices or or simply to stop doing anything that would put them in contact with God's Word and sacraments. But there are also the more subtle infidelities that we pay little or no attention to. We, we may not do so as, spectac- as spectacularly as, as Peter in the high priest's courtyard when, while Jesus was on trial, but still we deny Christ when we have vowed to never forsake him. We, we work hard to fit in at school, at work, or, or in the gym. So we make sure that nothing we do or say will cause anyone to think that we might be Christians, and especially not the kind who take their faith seriously or we conduct ourselves on social media in such a way that no one would ever imagine that we claimed to follow Jesus. And then there is the the infidelity of irresponsibility. When we commit ourselves to do something for Christ or His church or, or even for our own spiritual growth and then choose to do other things instead. Clearly, Hypocrisy is also faithless. Claiming to be a Christian, but showing by your actions and behaviors that you are anything but. And and so is saying that you care what God wants in your life, but consistently choosing to listen to the voices around you that say the things you want to hear and that suit your desires, 
rather than listening to Jesus when he says the things that are true, but that might cost you comfort or popularity. No one likes to be found out to be unfaithful, of course. But the problem with it is not that it feels bad. The problem is that Christ is coming. We don't know when, but soon, and when He comes, He comes in judgment. To be found unfaithful to Him on that day will not just feel bad, it will be bad, as bad as anything can be. We don't need to know all the details of what damnation will be like. Weeping and gnashing of teeth should be more than enough to make it clear we don't want to end up there. But that's why the Lord warns His people over and over throughout the Scriptures. See your sins, repent of them, and keep on trusting in Him and only in Him for salvation. What happens to the worthless servants in our Gospel and text today make it graphically clear that the cost of unfaithfulness is severe and tragic. To be caught at Christ's return or at your death, to be caught without faith in Him is to be caught with your sins unforgiven and God's righteous wrath against you unsatisfied. And that faith That faith needs to be real and and active, not just a, a wispy memory of something that you believed long ago. And certainly not not merely a cultural relic or something that you think your parents or grandparents can hold on to for you. Just as the husband who is being unfaithful to his wife is not actively loving her when he does that, so also a Christian who has set aside faithfulness to Christ is not actively trusting in Jesus when he does that. And that both closes the door to heaven and opens it to hell. That's not what God wants. And we don't want it either. So we give thanks that he forgives us for our unfaithfulness. He forgives us for our broken vows and promises. He forgives us for our arrogant assumptions that we get to pick and choose when to listen to or follow Him and when not to. He forgives us for failing to fear, love, and trust in Him above all things. And He forgives us for failing to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. He forgives us, not because our sins are unimportant, far from it, and not because we deserve any favor from Him. Far from it. He forgives us because His Son, Jesus, won that forgiveness for us by suffering and dying for our sins on the cross in our place and by rising from the dead for our justification. Christ's work removed all our guilt and gave us all His righteousness instead. So we are not only forgiven, but are welcomed into the family and fellowship of the same God we have so persistently and insistently rebelled against. 
He gives all this to us freely and faithfully at no cost to us. All there is for us is to trust it and keep on trusting it. And with that faith, we will gladly also offer our faithfulness. It is a a key way that we show our thanks to the Lord for being such a loving, merciful, compassionate, and gracious God. And it is something that that helps us keep our trust in Him front and center and, and vital in our hearts and in our lives. And faithfulness is an imitation of the faithfulness that that He always shows to us. Faithfulness matters to God, and it matters to us. But as Jesus makes clear to us in our readings today from Matthews 24 and 25, the time to be faithful is now, not tomorrow. We cannot put off, put it off until a, a more convenient time. We can't ignore the gifts and responsibilities that we've been given, and we certainly cannot take God's patience and grace for granted and behave as if our master is never coming back. So we will be faithful to our Lord and to our callings today and tomorrow, not on some vague and distant tomorrow instead of today. But what does that mean? What does faithfulness look like? Here in in Matthew 24, Jesus describes it in terms of a servant carrying out the duties his master has given him. In the parable of the talents, Faithful is, faithfulness is seen in those servants who, who take the things that their Lord has entrusted to them and put them to work for Him. And in Romans 12 today, we, we are similarly encouraged to use what God has given us. Reading again, we have different gifts according to the grace God has given us. If the gift is prophecy, do it in complete agreement with the faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then encourage. If it is contributing, be generous. If it is leadership, be diligent. If it is showing mercy, do it cheerfully. And the Lord Himself gets specific about what faithfulness from His people means in our reading from Isaiah 1. Wash yourselves. Purify yourselves. Remove your evil deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Seek justice for the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Now faithfulness will will be the same for every Christian in that it involves steadfastly trusting in Christ and nurturing one's faith with the means of grace, the the gospel and God's word and, and the sacraments. And faithfulness will also look different for different believers because we all have different callings. But it will always mean being responsible and, and giving your best in those callings. Loving your spouse more than yourself. Being a good and trouble-free employee. Studying hard in school 
sharing the gospel with your friends and neighbors, fulfilling your roles in your family. Faithfulness also means good stewardship, being active and eager in putting one's gifts, talents, time, resources, whatever, putting one's gifts to work for the mission and church of Christ. So with Jesus' question in our text, who then is the faithful and wise servant? Regardless of what you may have been before, now the gospel and gifts of God have made you the faithful and wise servant. Today and every tomorrow. And you will be blessed when your master returns and finds you doing what he has left you to do. As Christ urged us in our verse of the day, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That's what God wants to give us and that's what we want to have. Faithfulness matters. Amen. Please rise. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His own blood and made us a kingdom and priests to God His Father, to Him be the glory and the power forever. Amen.